Good New Year's morning to you. Yeah, I am much more of a um, Eastern time zone New Year's celebrator myself. <laughs> uh, on a good night, maybe Central time zone. But one of the things about the state of Washington, though, is that even if you do go to bed early, you never miss midnight because you get that barrage of fireworks that wakes you up. So, <laughs> I've never been much of a uh, New Year's resolution guy either, though I, I'm sure I could have benefited from some. Uh, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? Not, not very many. All right, well, that's okay. Well, you know, the research says that about 45% of us regularly make a New Year's resolution, about 45%. Uh, and almost always, of course, those resolutions are based on, uh, you know, some form of self-improvement, like losing some weight or being more productive uh, or saving more money, things like that, all good things. So 45% tend to make resolutions, but unfortunately, the research says that only 8% actually succeed in achieving those. Psychologists uh, have studied that, and they, of course, have identified a couple of problems that they say are the reason for that high failure rate, or if you're a glass-half-full kind of person, uh, low success rate. <laughs> and they have fancy names for these things, and I, I, um, I'm going to give them my own names because I think my names are a little clearer <laughs> than those the psychologists use. So, uh, so we're going to use my names. Uh, the first is the biting off more can be chewed problem. That's the problem where we tend to overestimate our capability and underestimate the difficulty of uh, what we're trying to tackle. Uh, and, and we underestimate how, how hard it's going to be. And so we try to accomplish more than is realistic for us, or we try to accomplish it faster than is realistic for us. So it's the, uh, the uh, biting off more than can be chewed problem. The second is the grass isn't greener problem. Uh, so even if we are successful in achieving that goal that we set for ourselves, we often find that the life change that we had hoped for doesn't materialize. So for example, we might have a goal to lose weight, believing that that is going to improve our lives, uh, you know, or improve our social life, or improve our health, or uh, perhaps improve our career. And, um, and we find that even if we get to the point on the scale that we want to, that those things don't necessarily follow. The, uh, the real change doesn't happen. So when that occurs, then we tend to not stick with it, and we revert back to where we were in the first place. The grass isn't greener problem. So we have those two problems, and uh, it seems to me that the explanation that these, the psychologists have come up with for the low success rate of New Year's resolutions is very similar to um, to the message that we've been making in this series, 
Who am I? Because the basic theme of the series is that the world convinces us that we are what we achieve or what we do or what others think about us. The video that we just saw and that um, we've used to introduce each of the messages in this series does a really good job, I think, of, uh, of capturing that. And, uh, and I know it goes by fast. You can, get, you can see this video on YouTube, by the way. Um, but it goes by fast when we show it. And so I, I want to I stop and capture some of those thoughts that it brings up. It first asks the questions, who am I? Am I what I do? Am I what I've achieved? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I what others think about me? And if we answer yes to any of those questions, then we are defining our identity by the way the world defines it. And the video goes on, and it identifies some problems with that. It says, how I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I'm determined by what I do, I'll, I'll always need to do more to find my value. If I am what others say, I will always try to please people rather than my Heavenly Father. Instead, what, when we consider the question, who am I, we need, to, we need to, to consider who does God say that I am? Who does God say that I am? And as the, as the video goes on, it says, if I listen to who God says I am and embrace his identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all he has planned for me. That's really important for us to remember. And in the Bible, God has given us a number of, of portraits to describe who he has made us to be and how we are to live out that identity. And among those, there are many of them. Among those are, are portraits like soldier, athlete, farmer, builder, ambassador, prisoner, steward, parent, child, saint, heir, friend, bride, and many others. Many, many others. And through this series, this Who Am I series, we've, we've picked out some of those and we've shared messages on them. And um, on the back of the white note sheet in your folder, I have listed those messages that we've preached in this series, along with the scripture that the message is expounding upon. And uh, I encourage you to... Um, to, to go back and listen to each one of them. You know, put that, in, that sheet in your Bible or put it on your refrigerator and um, maybe once a month listen to one of those messages. And uh, if, if nothing else, it may, perhaps even better, go to the Bible and look up that scripture and study that scripture. Today I, I have the privilege of sharing the final message in this series. And uh, I want to share one more portrait with you. This portrait is that I am a citizen of heaven. And as we explore this portrait, uh, I hope that each of you will come away today with a New Year's resolution 
that truly will change your life. Now, if you have some other resolutions in mind, uh, you can keep those if you want, because they're good too. Um, but I pray that you will make this resolution the priority. And if you don't have a res- any resolutions yet, like me, I pray that you will make this one and join me in making it. So let's look at Philippians 3, verse 20. The Apostle Paul, who's the author of this letter uh, to the Philippians, writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we get to the resolution that I just mentioned, uh, let's just try to grasp the significance of these five words. Our citizenship is in heaven. First, let's be clear on who's being referred to. Paul addresses this letter to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So like the other identities we've talked about in this series, uh, uh, we are talking about those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given us this identity. Second, notice something else about these five words. Notice that this truth is in present tense. Our citizenship is in heaven. Not our citizenship will be in heaven or could be in heaven. So, if, if, so what this is saying is if, if you are a follower of Christ Jesus, you are already a citizen of heaven. And another way of looking at that is that being true, we are presently aliens here in this world. I know there's the idea of dual citizenship. Some people are citizens of more than one country, and uh, that is not what's being communicated here. Here we are being told that our citizenship is in heaven, even though we are presently here in the world. We know uh, know that that's what's meant here for a couple of reasons. One, uh, just prior to this verse... Paul gives a contrasting description of a citizen of the world. In um, in verses 18 and 19, he says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. Then in verse 20 he says, But, but, we are not worldly citizens like that. We are citizens of heaven. The second way that we know what is meant here with this truth of our citizenship is in heaven, and it doesn't mean dual citizenship, is that it's said elsewhere in the Bible, many places. Uh, Paul points out here in verse 18 that he's told us this before. Uh, uh, And 
Peter talks about it. Jesus himself talks about it. There are many places. Uh, I just want to give you a couple of places. Uh, first, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As foreigners and exiles, as aliens here in this world, live differently from those who are not. That's what Peter is telling us. And then when Jesus prayed for his disciples shortly before his arrest, He says to God the Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. We are most definitely, presently, aliens in the world because our citizenship is in heaven. So with that, now let's, let's look at the next couple of verses here in Philippians 3, starting with 20 again. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And there it is. There is the resolution. Paul writes, Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. In other words, because our citizenship is in heaven, and because we eagerly await a Savior from there, resolve to stand firm in our heavenly citizenship. Now, let's try to see why this is a New Year's resolution that will truly change your life. And uh, to do that, I want to relate it back to uh, the reasons the psychologists say most New Year's resolutions don't change your life. All right, first, why this resolution will truly change your life, there is nothing you have to accomplish Remember that first big reason that most resolutions fail to change your life is that we bite off more than can be chewed. We're trying to do too much. We're trying to do it too fast. We overestimate how good we are and we underestimate how hard it is. Being a citizen of heaven is not something that you do. It is something that God has done for you and that you now are. In worldly terms, 
you are a citizen of the United States if you are born in the United States or if your parents are citizens of the United States. And if that's not the case, then you can become a citizen of the United States through a naturalization process, a process where you have to do a bunch of stuff. And many people believe that there is a naturalization process to become a citizen of heaven. And that is not the case. There is no naturalization process to become a citizen of heaven. The only way to be one is to be born as one. Now many of the Jews at the time Jesus lived believed that being born a Jew was the way you needed to be born to be a citizen of heaven. They thought that meant being born a Jew. And Jesus corrected this thinking, though, very clearly. When he was approached by a prominent Jew named Nicodemus, he told Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're not a citizen of heaven unless you are born again. So just like our human birth is not something that we control or we do for ourselves, our spiritual rebirth as a citizen of heaven is something that only God can do for us. <clears throat> Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, where it makes us even clearer, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomplete riches or the incomparable riches of his grace, the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Absolutely, if you had to earn your citizenship in heaven, we would be biting off more than we could chew. <laughs> we could not ever do enough achieve enough, be good enough. And God knows that. And that's why he has provided a way for us to become citizens of heaven through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. <clears throat> Since God has made us citizens of heaven by his grace, there is nothing for us to accomplish and therefore this reason for resolutions failing has been wiped away. Now let's look at the other big reason. The other big problem with resolutions, the psychologists say, is the grass isn't greener problem. We, we discover the grass isn't greener, and then even if we achieve what our goal was, we find that the life change doesn't happen, and we revert back to the way things were. 
well, frankly, with any resolution which is set on earthly things, that disappointment is inevitable. You will most definitely find that the grass is not greener if the resolution is set on earthly things. And most of, most of the time we find that, uh, that we're, we're, even if we achieve it, we're still dissatisfied. We still feel the need for, for more or, or for something different. Paul, in verse 19 here, says that their God is their stomach. That's a good metaphor because we, just, we have to keep filling our stomach, right, over and over again. Even if we have some success and we find some joy in that, it's short-lived. Our time in this world is short. It's limited. And if you are set on earthly things only, you will find you have nowhere to go. But as a citizen of heaven, that changes entirely. And the grass is most definitely greener. Let's make sure we see this. Let's look again at what comes right after that truth that our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 again, starting with 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Wow. From our country, our, our country of heaven, comes the savior of the world who wields so much power that everything will be under his control. And he's going to change us to be like his glorious body? There's so much awesomeness there. It's just hard to even imagine. So a second reason that this resolution will truly change your life is that you are promised an awesome country. You're promised an awesome country. I know it's, it's hard to grasp that awesomeness. Uh, maybe we can feel a little bit more if we relate it to worldly terms again. As, as a citizen of the U.S., don't you feel some confidence in the power and the determination of the United States to protect its citizens? If you're elsewhere, you probably feel, you feel some of that. And I, I think of the movie Captain Phillips which is based on the true story of an American cargo ship captain who um, is taken hostage by modern-day pirates off the coast of Somalia. And uh, he ends up in an enclosed lifeboat uh, with these pirates, expecting that any time these gun-toting, stressed-out pirates are going to beat him to death, or shoot him. It's tense, and he is feeling very alone and very frightened, and it's very quiet. And then all of a sudden comes this ocean-shaking horn blast, and that gets their attention, and they look out the little door of their 
enclosed lifeboat, and they see this massive U.S. naval vessel pulled up right next to them. And you see the look on Captain Phillips' face, and he can just barely contain the joy he feels that his saviors have come. I won't tell you more in case you have not seen that movie. But on the other hand, another illustration, if people weren't suffering as a result, it would be almost humorous to watch the United States and Russia play their games to see who can wield more dominance in the world, more influence than the other. Vladimir Putin wants desperately for Russia to be seen as a world power and for himself to be seen as the savior who restored it. That's why he sanctions cyber attacks, insults President Obama, leaves the U.S. out of negotiations for peace in Syria, and invites U.S. diplomats' families to the Kremlin for New Year's parties in the face of the U.S. expelling Russian diplomats. And the United States, we are indeed powerful, and I'm happy to be a a U.S. citizen in this world. We are indeed powerful, but consider Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq and Ukraine and just about any other place in the world, and you see just how little we have under our control. Even our closest allies, we often, like Israel, we often have trouble getting to do what we want. So contrast that with being a citizen of heaven and the promise that Jesus will put everything under his control, saving all of his citizens and giving them a glorious life for eternity. Now it's true that though we are citizens of heaven, While living as an alien here in this world, we experience relatively little of that. We're we're just like the people of faith described in Hebrews chapter 11. All these people, these citizens of heaven, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised before they died. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We also long for a better country. But if, if that is what we are placing our hope in, there is no risk of disappointment. As a citizen of heaven, you have a Savior coming to take you to where the grass is greener all the time, forever. That problem with resolutions, is wiped away. So allow me to to end with just a few thoughts 
on uh, what it means to be, or what it means to stand firm in our heavenly citizenship. First, I should say that if you are not a citizen of heaven, and you feel God drawing you to him, I encourage you to see me or any of our other elders, uh, Pastor Scott being one of them, um, after, the, after the service, or perhaps write it on your connect card, which is that narrow slip in your folder or in the pews, uh, the back of the pews. You can write on there that you would like to be contacted. So standing firm in our heavenly citizenship, first, we are to live like a citizen of heaven. We're to live like it. As we saw in verses 18 and 19 here in, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul describes what a non-citizen of heaven is like. And he said in verse 20, but that's not us. We are different. So the question is, are we living that way? Are we living that way? Every day, as we do battle with sin, when we're tempted to conform to earthly thoughts and behaviors, stop and remember, that is not who I am. I am a citizen of heaven. I will not give in to that temptation. And ask God to steer you differently. Because he promises to do so, to always provide a way out when we're in those situations. Secondly, I suggest be an ambassador. Be an ambassador. I worked for a guy for several years who was a great, great guy and a great boss. His name is Roger. Uh, he was a believer, and he and his family, they did live differently. They, they lived like citizens of heaven. But Roger ended up deciding to kind of quit the world, leave everything, and move his family to rural Missouri, where only other citizens of heaven live. And that, you know, a lot of ways that's really appealing. That's very comfortable sounding. Just like it's really comfortable to live like a citizen of heaven within these walls. Or really comfortable to live like a citizen of heaven with our fellow church family members. But as a citizen, we have, we've got not only privileges in our country, but we have responsibilities. And uh, in a different letter, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So the question is, are we being Christ's ambassadors in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our schools? Are we being Christ's ambassadors? A third thing about standing firm in our heavenly citizenship is do not misplace your hope. After the recent presidential election, there was evidently a great deal of despair among a lot of people. Even Michelle Obama recently said, quote, now we're feeling what not having hope feels like. 
As a citizen of heaven, there is no need to feel that way. Don't, don't get consumed with these earthly things. Politicians make promises and they fail to keep them. Leaders come and go. Even countries come and go. If you place your hope in those things, you may as well be hopeless. But we can trust the promises made in Philippians 3.21. See them and welcome them from a distance. And eagerly await Jesus to come. To come and to put all things under his control. And to transform us to be like his glorious body. Let me invite you to bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I just want to stop and thank you. Thank you for giving us the way to be born as a citizen of heaven. And Father, I, I just pray for, for anyone hearing this message who is not yet a citizen of heaven. Father, I, I pray that you will draw them to you and give them, give them that, that extra bit to, uh, to come to you, to ask questions, to learn more, and to allow you to work on their heart. And Lord, for those of us that are citizens. Lord, I pray that we will indeed resolve to stand firm in our heavenly citizenship this year. And as, Lord, we are confronted with the question of who am I, I pray that you will place the answers on our heart that are from you. That we will respond with who you say we are. And Father, too, as we move into 2017, I do pray. I do pray for this world. And I pray for, I pray for our leaders in this country at all levels. The national level, at the state level, at the county and city level. Lord, I pray that our leaders understand who the real authority is. And I pray that they will seek you in all that they do and all of their decision-making. And Lord, I pray that they will govern justly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.